Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. So we're reading this morning from the book of Colossians, starting at verse 13, going through 20. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray over us one more time. Uh, God, we just welcome your presence here Jesus, we ask that you would uh, speak to us. Would you manifest your presence to us? Um, Lord, we just uh, we come here, um, just all different walks of life. Some of us um, walking into church doors for the first time in a really long time. Others of us have been uh, part of a church for a while. And so, God, we, we just want to acknowledge that you are alive and living and moving. And if we seek what is truth, um, we believe here as this body that we will you will point us to you, God. You will point us to Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you uh, uh, anoint this place? Would you um, become expectant for you to speak? Um, would you just remove all uh, obstacles, um, all distractions? And if you would, would you just take a moment to, um, I don't know what kind of week you've had. Uh, maybe it's been a stressful one, but I just want to give you a moment of silence to uh, just meet with the living God. Um, if you pray, would you just say hello to him and, and ask him to speak to you? Would you come, Lord Jesus, come. Speak, Lord, your people are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Welcome to Missio Day Lincoln Square. Uh, welcome, welcome. My name is Brian. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Missio Day. If I don't know you, uh, so glad you're here because we're kicking off a new series on who is Jesus. All right. Um, I, I think uh, this this topic uh, is one that is just like you're probably thinking that's duh. We talk about Jesus all the time here. What, what, what's what's so special? Like what's what, why just specifically talk about Jesus? Um, and I want to just, uh, we're going to be sitting in just a few verses of Colossians over the next four or five weeks, um, and, and, and we're going to dig in. Um, before I do that, though, I want to ask you guys a question. Um, just the guys, um, how many of you guys think you can beat me up? <laughs> uh, okay, we got one. Seriously, I raise your hand. Like, this is not like a pride thing. 
This is not like a, I'm embarrassed, like genuinely, like if we got in a fight, you and I, like, do you think you could like legitimately beat me up? Like, raise your hand. Now, girls, I didn't say girls. I'm not that secure for girls raising their hands. So just guys, just so seriously, guys, raise your hand if you think you can beat me up. Okay. Tom, maybe. You're, you're a pretty big dude. You're tall. Robbie, I, I think it would be a good, no, seriously, keep your hands raised. Everybody, keep your hands raised. You think you can beat me up. All right. Uh, Christian? Yeah, you probably could be more. Um, new guy right here? It, it, maybe. I think so. Um, Ravi, I, I think it would be a good grapple. I think, I think it would... That's right. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. You could be... You, <laughs> Papa's got me. Ben? I don't know, man. That's, that's a close one. Uh, who else? We got go. Seriously, everybody, we're here. Uh, Reed, yeah, I've seen your, you've been working out lately, Reese, and yeah, I think you could beat me up. Um, what else we got? Bam, you didn't reach your hand? Not violence. Oh, man, but if you were, but, all right. Uh, Ryan? No? I think you might be able to take me, I don't know. Peter, maybe so? Uh, Tom, I think you could get me. You just got way more life experience, and you're just, you would just yell at me, and I would crumble over. Um, here's the deal, like, I, I asked that because, like, I'm not really offended if you think you can beat me up, um, but let me tell you what, what, what does offend me. What offends me is when Christians no longer believe in the power of Jesus. Like, when we've limited his power, when we no longer believe he has power in the person of Jesus. And so like my desire for us as we go through this series is that, that, that you would know his power, um, that you would know his power. And that, 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 that just, it offends me that when we, we worship a God who has died and overcome death and raised from the dead as Christians, and if you're not a Christian here and you're seeking, it doesn't offend me that you don't think he has the power because that's where you are. But when you say that he has given you life, and raised from the dead, and, but yet forget that he has the power to change your life now, that offends me. I just want to read this one verse uh, and start us off. I'm going to quote Jesus. Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades, says Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's Jesus' power. And so my desire for you through this series is just a few things. Number one, um, I want you, if you are a follower of Jesus, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, of course, we're here at church, I want you to be able to submit to the, the, the lordship of Jesus. I want you to learn to, to be able to um, see Jesus as uh, just your, your love and your life again. I want you to be able um, to fully uh, understand what it means for Jesus to be Lord over your entire life. Not just like Sundays, not just a few days of the week, not just while you're praying, but like Lord over your job, Lord over your sexuality, Lord over your, your relationships, Lord over everything, your money, your resources. I want, I, want, I want that to be the case, that you fall in love with Jesus again so much that you're like, yeah, I, you're, you believe in me so much that you, um, you I'll do whatever you say. Um, there was a, a, a marathon um, runner who wrote a book who... who uh, who wasn't naturally a runner, um, by the name of Jesse Itzler. Does anybody ever heard of J- Jesse Itzler? Anybody? Few, nobody? Um, so Jesse Itzler, he, he ran a lot of ultra marathons. He wrote a book called Living with a Seal, 
um, because uh, he met this guy um, that he calls Seal. So he was obsessed with health. Um, he began to just like start off with one marathon. Then he began to run ultra marathons. I know we got a lot of marathon runners, which we're getting ready to talk about Team World Vision in a couple of weeks, uh, running with um, the Chicago Marathon. Um, and so this guy uh, ran an ultra marathon, which is just, it's, it's insane to me, like why you do this. But it's 24 hours, and I think it's like, is it 100, 100 miles, Peter? Is that right? Um, uh, and so they, they decided we're going to run with six people. And we're going to like pass, we're going to take turns running. But they met this one guy who ran the entire thing, um, who, who ran it all with, with uh, carrying crackers, a bottle of water, and a uh, lounge chair. Um, and so they meet this guy, um, and they're like, uh, just because everybody's bringing other kinds of materials, and they're just, this guy's 260 pounds running this whole thing, which is just not the kind of weight you would carry for like an ultra marathon runner. So they, they, they see this guy, and they, they ask him, and they find out he's a Navy SEAL. And so they ask, he says, like, if this guy can do this at 260 pounds and run the entire thing, like, I want to learn what that guy has. Uh, I want to know what he... And so he asked him to live with him for like a month, and, just, and, and the guy says, I'll do it under one condition, that you do everything I ask you to do. And he's like, okay. I'll do that. And so he gets there, and you're literally like, they're doing chin, he's like, they're doing chin-ups, and he can only do eight, and he's like, I want you to do more, and he gets up to like four, and he's just like completely done, his arms are, are, are falling off, and he's like, I want, you're not done until you do 100 more. And he's like, literally, that's what he says, and he does it. And then he, he, he says, look, you're too soft, Jesse, like, you need to learn to sleep, you're going to sleep in a hard chair tonight, because you're too soft. And he makes him sleep in a hard chair, like just crazy stuff. And he's like, okay, I, I, and I just thought about that, like, what if our discipleship to Jesus, what if my discipleship to Jesus was like that? I mean, what if, like, I lit, like, we have someone better than a seal living in us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit who wants to equip us and empower us to follow the way of God, to practice the way of Jesus. And I just thought, man, like, I, I don't, but like, what if I was able to say, okay, God, like, what, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I mean, because, like, Jesus didn't come to make us just nice, cute, clean Christians living in a comfortable neighborhood in Chicago. Christ came so that we would have a radical minimum standard of what it means to follow Jesus. And so my heart for you is that you would just rekindle your uh, awe and wonder of Jesus in this season. So um, that's second. I want you to be able to rekindle your wonder of Jesus and reclaim that. And some of us, I think, have just lost um, wonder of who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, and so we're hoping to reclaim some of that this morning. And we also want to just, uh, my other hope for you is that you would um, just have a sense of boldness to proclaim the power of Jesus, um, that you would have a boldness about you to proclaim Jesus. Um, and pe people just don't talk about Jesus' power anymore like it's a, something to be reckoned with. We, we often paint a, a weak picture of Jesus um, and, and, I, and I don't want don't to go too far astray of, not, of diminishing his humanity. We're going to get into that. Um, but when I say Jesus, like what picture comes into your head? And when I say Jesus, what picture comes into your head? And most of you may be thinking of like a painting of like a, a, a white guy with blondish brown hair flowing down to his shoulders. And he's always got like a little sheep that he's petting. In the picture, some reason I guess to show his like compassion or gentleness. I, you know, it, it, that's kind of like some, you'd probably think of some painting or some like some some kind of stained glass picture of 
Jesus. And um, it, it, what is popular is, is projecting our own selves, I think. Honestly, I think we project our own selves onto Jesus, um, that we project like what we want Jesus to be onto him. And, and, and we forget like Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jewish man. So statistically, we don't know what he looks like, but more than likely, he was short. I say that on purpose because it gives me solidarity. He was probably really short according to just standards of Middle Eastern men. He also had probably missing or crooked teeth. Just want to throw that out there. They didn't have the best hygiene back then. All right, so when we think of Jesus and what he looked like, he probably wasn't very attractive. He probably wasn't very, like, what you, what you think of when we think of Jesus. And um, I remember this book um, I read years ago called The American Jesus, and it traces just the way Christ has been portrayed. And um, Americans just seem addicted to projecting themselves onto Jesus, and we end up with all these versions of Jesus, which surprisingly look just like us. You've got, there's a Republican Jesus who's always, always uh, against tax increases, they're for four family values, and owns, just Jesus owns firearms. <laughs> There's a democratic Jesus who's against Wall Street and Walmart. He's for spending other people's money and for socialism. There's a therapeutic Jesus to tell us how, he tells us how special we are and how we need to not be hard on ourselves. There's a Starbucks Jesus, whoever wrote this had really bad taste in coffee, by the way. Uh, the Starbucks Jesus, who, who sits in coffee shops all day, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid and tours around to different um, film festivals. And there's the open-minded Jesus, who accepts every viewpoint of every person, regardless of how absurd it is. He doesn't accept people who are not as open-minded as he is, though, and that's the open-minded Jesus. And you've got all these versions of Jesus, but Paul's vision of Jesus was one of Jesus' supreme. Paul's version of Jesus is Jesus is greater than Caesar. Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Jesus is greater than Gandhi. He's greater than Oprah Winfrey. He's greater than Martin Luther King Jr. He's greater than Barack Obama. He's greater than Donald Trump. He's greater than anybody you can imagine. And he's good. And he's God. That's Paul's vision of Jesus. It's the supreme vision of Jesus that Paul was like wanting these people to get into. And as we get into this verse and section, um, Paul's under house arrest, and he hears this news of a church in Colossae. And he, he's writing them this letter, and he's, like, I, he's hearing Epaphras tell him, like, here's some things our church is struggling with. Like, there's some tensions in different beliefs in this church. There's some, some tensions of, like, some really minute things, but we're, like, getting really divided over. And there's false teaching in the church. And he's like, Paul's like, let me, let me just, first of all, greet you. Like, hi, <laughs> you're Christians. I love you. You're saints. And he says, Let me pray for you. I pray that you would be filled with all spiritual wisdom and knowledge and understanding when knowing the will of God. And then, he, and then he quotes a poem. And this is amazing. I want you to think about this. This poem, this, this, this worship, it was a worship statement of the early church. This was written at the latest, three, 30 years after Jesus died. All right? All right. So I want you to think, like, some of you in, like, let's just say we were back in that time, and then this were 30 years after Jesus died. Like, some of you, like, would have known, Je like, Tom would have hung out with Jesus, all right? Like, 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 Tom would have been hanging out with Jesus, and he would have been there. Sorry, Tom. But, like, you would have been telling us, like, let me tell you what Jesus did, man. Like, he got the flu one day, and he vomited all over the place, but then he went and healed all these people. He was human and divine. It was crazy. And we'd be able to hear those stories. So you can imagine this poem being written 
in a time when people could refute it and argue with it and say different things about it, and this is it. This, let's just say it one more time. Um, not that one, but maybe the very first one, the very first set of scriptures um, that we read, that Tom read. In verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. First of all, He's the image of the invisible God, and He's the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, all things were created. Okay. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him, all things hold together. That's good news. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So then everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so that's the poem that was being quoted that we don't know if Paul wrote it or if the early church wrote it, but that, like, it's this beautiful statement, and Paul doesn't refute the air with the air. He begins just declaring who Jesus is, and it's about the real Jesus. And I'm, 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 I say this because I'm fearful, if I just attempt to pastor you a minute in, in humility but in authority, that in our time, Jesus will never be um, disowned, but for Christians, he'll be tragically dismissed. And that we will use Jesus for our own agenda. Like, like that we'll, we'll, we'll basically have an agenda that we want to be supreme. And then we'll just find, make Jesus a version of that um, to fit our agenda. Like that's, my, that, that, that's my greatest fear for us. Have you ever met someone who just gets a pet theology? They like listen to some podcast or went to a conference, and like every conversation is about that pet theology. And you're just like, they see everything through that lens. If you haven't, like, we should switch places sometime, and you can like hear everybody's pet theology um, come out. But the life of Jesus is the fulcrum of redemption, releasing the power of God into the world. And so, like, for example, like people have a, a, a political disdain, and I don't like bad politics, but it is not the center of our faith. Like Jesus is the center of our faith. Human rights. If human rights are the center of our faith, like Jesus was a huge proponent of human rights, crying out loud. I, I am for it too, but if that's the center of our faith, why not just become secular humanists? Like, why are we here? Why are we doing this? Why are you a part of this, this, this movement? Jesus was a staggering proponent of that, but he said, like, it all flows from me and through me and to me. And so our culture often doesn't tell us what to think. It tells us what to think about. And so if you, look, if you are passively letting culture to tell us what to think about, you'll never center your life on Jesus Christ. And so um, I just want to get through this passage. I want to I unpack it. Um, the passage is broken up into three parts. Um, in verse, the first section is Christ the Creator. Um, the second section is Christ the Sustainer in verses 17 through 18. And the third section is Christ the Redeemer, verse 19 through 20. It's a preacher's dream. <laughs> so first of all, Christ the Creator. Christ the Creator. If He is the 
Think about this. If he is the Christ who made the world, how can Christ who made the world die for the world? This is confusing. How, how could he who made the world die for the world? I think sometimes it's easier to say that he died on the cross for the redemption of the world than to say that Jesus was a part of creating the world, right? Like it's easier for us to be like, oh yeah, he died on the cross. That makes sense. But for to say that he was there in eternity past, the Trinity was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were, were so filled with sacrificial, non-competitive love towards one another that they spent themselves on us and decided to create the world. That their love was so great. They're like, we can't contain this. We've got to let this stuff out. It's just, and they're like, I, and the Father's like, it's all about you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, it's all about you, Father. And the Spirit's like, it's all about both of you. What are you talking about? And, like, and it's just like, and it's just this amazing love, non-competitive, selfless love. And, and, and Paul is trying to show them that like, this God you knew, this, this Jesus man you walked with, the God man, the one who had a stomach virus. Like, think about the last time you had a stomach virus and what happens when you get the stomach virus. That guy, that man was a God-man, and he created the world. And so what Paul is doing is he's connecting these things for this Gentile community and this, 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 uh, this Jewish community, and he's saying the Jews were all about God's invisible. You can't see God. And the Gentile world was like Caesar is the image of Caesar is everywhere, and he's our God, and he's on the coin, and his image is here, and his statue is here. And Paul says, well, let me tell you, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Like, he's the exact mirror of God. Like, and so for you, if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He shows the character of God. In his, if you want to know the wisdom of God, look at Jesus' teachings. They reveal the wisdom of God. Jesus' healings uh, reveal the compassion of God. Uh, Jesus' Jesus's, uh, death, his substitutionary death for you, resembles and reveals the love of God. Uh, and his resurrection reveals the power of God. If you want to know who God is, he's not saying that, like, he's saying he's the icon. It's this word icon where we get the word icon. Um, and so uh, imagine an image is of usually an icon is of something invisible. Um, so like a good example is like the Statue of Liberty, right? Like liberty, freedom is invisible. Um, and can you imagine being an immigrant, um, running away from genocide, um, getting pressed onto a boat, not knowing where you're, how you're going to make it, if you're going to make it, and after weeks and weeks and weeks of sailing across the Atlantic, you see the Statue of Liberty. And you go into Liberty Island, and you're just in awe. And you're like, that's the image of freedom. And this wasn't just an image. He says that he's the exact image of God. It's not just a representation. Like, we are made in the image of God, but we don't image God perfectly. Um, we're not holy. God is. And so Jesus is this exact, perfect picture of God. So a good test of anything that you think that God is like, Jesus is the litmus test. Like, if, 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 if it's not in Jesus, then it doesn't represent God. Um, Jesus is the exact image of God. It's amazing. Um, and so they would have known exactly what this is. Paul, uh, uh, he, author of Hebrews, says it this way, the same way. Um, it says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. 
and he holds the universe by the word of his power. So if, it would be like me seeing a mirror back in this room, and, and it, it'd be like it, I would just be able to see what's over there that I can't see, because Jesus is the exact image of God. Um, now, uh, when Jesus came on the scene, he was a rabbi. He was also a teacher. He, he began to teach and say things, and people began to follow him, so much so that big, massive crowds began to follow him that he had to get on wide-open spaces so that these crowds could see him. Um, and many people believe that maybe that Jesus was just a good teacher. Um, um, now, I, I've been really thinking about this, like what's the best argument of who Jesus could have been if he wasn't God? And the best argument that I can think of is that he had schizophrenic disorder. Um, because he would say crazy things, and he would go off, and he was, you know, people was like, what is he saying? But someone who has schizophrenic disorder usually doesn't have really, really, like, like, like high up zealous politicians following him, and, and tax collectors, and, and, and um, people that are uh, uh, high up in the religious Sanhedrin. I mean, they're, they're this, the, the people that followed him come from plethora of backgrounds, and Jesus, the problem, with like, the problem with thinking that Jesus was just a good teacher is actually Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't say, I'm a good teacher. Um, Jesus actually claimed to be God. Uh, in John 15, uh, Peter, uh, Philip is like, they're at the end here. They're about to like, go up into Jesus' death. And, and, um, and Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Like, and it's enough for us. He's like, Come on, like, Jesus, just show us the Father. We're done. Like, I, I just need to see God. Like, what's going on here? And Jesus said, like, haven't I been with you so long and you still don't know me? He's like, you're asking me this elementary question on graduation day, dude? Like, we are about to, like, I'm about to die, and you're asking me to show you, like, don't you get it? And he says, look, he says, Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, I don't go, now, a lot of people look at me and, like, and look at my little son Jude, and they're like, he looks just like you. But, like, people don't, I'm not going around saying, like, look, if you've seen Jude, you've seen me. <laughs> you know, that would be weird. <laughs> yeah, like, you, you want to see me? Go look at my son. Like, that's, that's, Jesus, is make, his, his claim is profound. Why do you think the religious leaders pick up stones to kill him? It's because he said, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. He says, I, I was there in the beginning. I was there. And so Jesus doesn't allow us to see him as just a good teacher. He was either, as C.S. Lewis says, a liar, a lunatic, schizophrenic, or a lord. And so, um, this is, this is the, the, the claim, that he's the image of the invisible God. In Christ, his humanity, the invisible attributes of God are made visible. And then this phrase, I uh, just want to throw out a couple of, uh, teach you through a couple of these phrases in this passage that people get tripped up on. Um, the first is, he's the firstborn of all creation. Um, so you could think like, well, does that mean he's the first, born, first person ever born? No, that would be like Adam, um, and, and so that, that doesn't really make sense. Um, so what does this word firstborn mean? We have to keep it in its cultural context, that the word firstborn didn't necessarily mean that you were the very firstborn. Um, it had to do with rank. We have to remember the cultural um, understanding that a firstborn was one who received the inheritance that was the one that was the highest in rank in the family. So, for example, in Psalm 87, it says that David, I have anointed him to be my firstborn, higher than all other kings. Now, was, David was the lastborn. He was the, he was the youngest of the family. So, firstborn doesn't literally mean firstborn. Drive way does not mean you drive really fast on the way. Um, so, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word, but it's, it's the meaning of the word is that he was, he's the highest in rank. 
he, he, we have to keep reading. In the next verse, we understand what he means. In verse 16, it says this, that for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones and dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, that he has the right over all creation. Jesus is the creator God. So everything that had a beginning had a beginning through him. Therefore, he did not have a beginning. He's the source of creation. Everything that was created was created through him. Therefore, he was not created. Everything visible and invisible, it says. Even the the scientist today says that most of our universe is made up of invisible matter. The biggest stuff is invisible and the smallest stuff is invisible. And the largest level and the smallest level. And Jesus is the creator of it all. And everything is held together in Christ right now. He is the cosmic Christ. Christ, the uncreated creator over all things. And I'm just, I don't know how to get this through because like, I, I can't say enough words for you to, 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 to experience this. Like, I can't say enough words. This is, I'm here because this is a personal, I've had a personal encounter with Jesus. I mean, I remember being a child and, um, you know, my dad was not a Christian. We would debate Christianity, and my mom was. And I remember just having a moment where um, my mom was just weeping over the fact that my dad didn't know Jesus. And um, we, were in, we were weeping, and she was weeping, and she had all our, her sons around her. And I heard Jesus say, Brian, the way your mom is weeping over your dad is the way I weep over you, because you don't know me. And I've experienced his presence so powerfully. And so I'm, I, I don't, there's nothing I can say to make you see this. There's nothing I can say to make you, like, believe, like, to, to trust. But he, he is the creator of all things. And, and that should blow your mind that the creator of all things took on human flesh, that he enveloped himself and took and, and, and draped himself, himself in flesh, that God has skin. Philippians 2 says that God that Jesus humbled himself to become a man. And this should be humbling to us, that he had to humble himself to become a man. And, and, and this is what he did. Um, and so he is this, this cosmic creator, but not just that. He is this sustainer. Christ holds everything together, verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul says that Jesus is like the, the spiritual gravity that's holding everything seen and unseen together. Um, this flies in the face of deism that sees God as like the, the clock maker who wound the clock and made the clock and then takes a step back. Um, and, and now he's withdrawn, withdrawn from creation, um, but Christ did not withdraw, even though the world feels the effects of sin and death and brokenness and heaven and earth are, sep- are separate but yet overlapping. And it's saying that Christ is holding all that together right now that the mess that we are in as a world, that the brokenness of our world and the goodness of our world, it says that Jesus is like holding it. Like, like just, he's keeping it together. That's amazing that he's keeping the church together despite like the brokenness and the differences and the disunity or the unity or, or whatever's going on in any church across the city. He's like, I'm the one who's holding it together. I'm holding your life together. He, 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 he's holding the atoms together. He's holding the universe together. The earth weighs about 6 billion trillion tons and is moving around the sun at roughly 
1,000 miles an hour and doing this while rotating at the equator 1,000 miles an hour, three degrees tilted away from the sun, we freeze. Three degrees right tilted towards the sun, we burn. And what's holding it all together? It's gravity. No, look, gravity actually changes in different galaxies. Some, some, some galaxies, gravity is so strong that light actually um, it, 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 it collapses on itself. <laughs> and in some galaxies, they have little or no gravity. Gravity is not a thick thing. It's all these things in a beautiful dance all around each other. And it says Christ holds these together. And one of the most complex things in this universe is you and I. We have a soul. We have a mind. We have a will. We have a heart. We have a, and it says that Christ is holding you together. I mean, I, I, just, I, know, I know that you know that, but I just want to remind you that Christ is holding you together. Um, I want you to go back to like five-month-old uh, five you in, in the womb in utero. That's, that's when it was great, right? Those were the days. Um, and and in around five months, this miracle happens. Like a million, like a million little optic nerves from your brain get sent to a million optic nerves in these new eyes that are formed that stay the same size for your entire life, and they somehow perfectly all match up. That's that's a miracle. That's crazy. And not only that, that you can't see yet because there's a film of skin over your eye. And scientists don't know how this happens, but somehow something comes about that your body creates that cuts the layer of skin on that eye and forms eyelids. That's amazing. (laughs) That God, who created the universe, cares for you and holds you together. and I feel like, like that, like right now, for many of you that I talk to, like the complexity and the amazingness of who we are, isn't it crazy that God does all that, but yet we spend our entire life trying to hold it all together? Right? Like you're trying to hold your, your finances together. Like you're trying to hold your job together. You're trying to hold your marriage together. You're trying to hold, hold just being a Christian together, just being a person who has something of worth together. You're trying to hold having joy together. Because you don't know where to get it or how to keep it. You're trying to hold it all together. And Jesus says, I hold it all together. I am holding your life together. I will. That's a promise of God. That is a promise of God that he is holding you together and he is carrying you through. That is not you, that you don't have to hold it together. That that's the good news of that Christ is not just your creator, he is your sustainer. Some of you are trying to do it all, hold it together, and I, and I, and I, and I just want to speak that over you right now, that, that God has the power to change you and hold you together, and he did not design you to spend the next 10, 20, 30 years of your life with the same habits, and I want to speak the reverse over that, over you right now, that God has come to bring power. Like, he has power I mean, it says in this passage earlier that it's amazingness. I, I didn't plan on saying this, but he says um, in verse 11 that you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Like, do you get, do you get that? That like in Ephesians, it says that he has inexpressible power that he's given you. 
Like, do you believe that he has that kind of power to still sustain you, to still hold you, to still look after you? That we spend so much of our lives struggling with bills, wants, travels, needs, desires, relationships, trying to hold it all together. You're trying to, some of you are trying to hold your status update together all the time. Like every day, I got to hold my Instagram account up together. And like, how long do I stay in this job? Like, who should I marry? I'm trying to hold that together. Am I married to the right person? I'm a Christian, so I got to be married to the right person. Um, I got to balance work and play. And we try to hold it all together. We try to balance our checkbook, if that's even a thing anymore. And we're trying so hard. And we're trying to control these, like, control these things because we're like, if I let go of control, people don't care about it the way I care about it, so I can't let go of control of it. And we become so self-absorbed. And if Jesus is the sustainer, he's not just the sustainer of stars and galaxies. He's the sustainer of you. That's good news. That's good news that the best thing you can do is trust him. There's a difference between belief and trust, right? Like if I were to bring someone from the circus who throws knives in here and he like, come on up. Who wants to get on that spinning wheel? And you're like, I trust he can do this. But you, my friend, you should go up, not me right? Like the trust is like, I think he's probably done this a lot, but belief is I'm getting on the wheel. And, 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 and like God wants to move some of you today, but like, yeah, I, I, I think these things are probably true. So like, I, I, I surrender because he's got power from on high that I will never have. And you're like, Brian, how do you know this? How do you know he can do this? Because the sustainer was the redeemer. Because the star speaker was the sin bearer on the cross. It says that he made redemption and he brought peace by reconciling us in all things, not just your personal self, but the entire world, reconciling them to the cross, making peace on the cross. And now he is ascended forevermore. And when we see him in all of his glory, all of his majesty, he's going to have scarred hands, scarred wrists, And he took on that to triumph over your sin, your brokenness, and all that you're just doing right now to hold it together. And he's like, look, I am, you can let it fall apart. You can have scars because I am the one who bared the scars. Like, I have the scars now. You don't have to. You can can show people your scars. You're free to because they have no power over you. Because I am the victor, and I have victory. And, and so that's, that's how we know that he can hold these things together. Now, as a close, I just, a couple of months ago, um, I did a sermon, and sometimes I do a sermon, and I say something, and I just forget about it. But there's this one sermon I preached where I just felt really strongly the Lord, like, some strongholds in our community um, that are, like, that are like affecting us, that are keeping God's presence from us, that are keeping us from experiencing the breakthrough of God holding things together for us. And you think about these strongholds, they're strongholds because we're often like doing this for so long, trying to hold it all together, that they become strongholds, that we don't actually let God come in and hold them together for us. Um, And the things that we mentioned, I mentioned that all of these things were like really natural things. Like I could explain every single one of them rationally, but I'm tired of of being fearful of over-spiritualizing things because I think there's some spiritual things to these things. I think I could explain them away rationally, and you could too, but I really sense that there's something spiritual going on with these things. 
in our lives. Um, because I've, you've told me um, that some of you, never, the first stronghold that I just want to name is just anxiety. Anxiety. Um, and it's not just like normal anxiety. Some of you experience that. But some of you are like, I'm anxious and I don't even know why. I'm experiencing anxiety. I don't even know why I'm experiencing this anxiety. Um, we we want to pray that, 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 that we're going to pray for people in a minute. And we want to pray that that stronghold would fall. Um, that would fall off your life. Um, that you, and I know some of you have like synapse, you know, things that don't fire off right. And there's physiological things. And there's other miraculous things. I was talking to somebody today. They're like, yeah, I got all this stuff going on. I'm like, you told me about your anxiety. How's it going? He's like, I'm not even anxious about it. God could do that for you. You could have all these things that you should be anxious over. And you're like, I don't even, I don't even know how to explain it, but I'm not anxious. And so we want to pray that anxiety would fall from your life. Number two is apathy. Apathy. And I know this is a thing because I see the talent in this room. And I know how amazing all of you are. And I see how driven you are for your career and how you have plans for your career. You have great visions. You have great visions of promotions and plans and all these things. But then when it comes to the things of God and you're like, hey, could you like, you know, like hang out with kids once a month? Or could you, could you like help with Alpha and help people create space for non-believers? Or this is like, nah, can't do, I just can't be asked. And it's like all that drive to hold your career together. Some of you need to hear the good news that Jesus holds your career together. That you do not have to hold your career together. Isn't that good news? That it's not about you white-knuckling your version of success. That God wants to bring his power to you. To give you pleasure. To give you drive for his kingdom. That when Jesus is powerful in our life, that we'll radically give our lives to his mission. That we'll radically serve the poor. That we'll radically be along those on the margins. We'll take care of orphans and widows and those that are homeless. We'll be present with them because Jesus' presence is with them. It says in Matthew 25, and he said, when did, we, when did you, we see you, Jesus? He says, well, when I was hungry and, and naked and, and, and lonely, you fed me. He goes, that wasn't you. He goes, no, when you've done that to the least of these, you did it to me. And so we can take our apathy that we've lost because we've been placing all of our energy trying to hold our career together. It's like, God, you have our career. It's not going to last. And the third thing I just want to name is just lust. Um, some of us just struggling with lust. So just can't get a grip with just the, 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 the sex industry that pervades our, our screens and, the, and the, the oppressive nature of women. That, that, that is being used as an industry, that is a multi-billion dollar industry, and that we've played a role. I'm going to say, no longer, Lord Jesus. I'm going to find my pleasure in you. Find my ultimate pleasure in you, Jesus, because you hold my sexuality together. You hold my pleasure together. You're the sustainer and the redeemer. And the last one I just want to name that would fall is just comparison. And we're just compare sometimes just constantly comparing ourselves to someone else on Instagram, on social media. And we just fall into comparing constantly. They have this. I don't. They have this and I don't. Why are they there and I'm there? Oh, we went to high school together. They're there. Oh my goodness. And look where I am. And we're just comparing, comparing, comparing. It's a trap of joy. It's a thief of joy. We want to pray that these strongholds would release off of us. Would you guys stand and let's pray. God, we, we come to you um, just feel free to just make some room to worship, to pray. We're going to have some prayer leaders in the back, and we just want you to, to, 
to feel the freedom in this room to, to experience these strongholds being released. So for some of you, it may be helpful to just like make fists symbolically of the stronghold on your life. The thing that you're trying to hold together. Some of you just may want to reach for the sky and surrender. Some of you just may want to just get internal, and that's cool too. And not really move at all. But right now, Lord, we announce that anxiety has no place here. We renounce it and we ask that anxiety would fall to the ground. That we would release the anxious tension in our lives of trying to hold our life together, trying to be the perfect wife, the perfect husband, the perfect parent, the perfect employee, the perfect Christian. Lord, we just release it all to you. We let it fall to the ground because you hold our life together. Jesus Christ, who is your life, you are hidden in Christ. If that is you, you are hidden in Christ. Or we ask that apathy would fall to the ground. We believe that you have put in a drive in us for you and, a, and, and to want you and to say, Lord, we seek your face. We want you. We, we, we need you. So God, we need a miracle this morning. If you're here apathetic, we need a miracle for you to do something in our heart because we can't do it in our own power. We need your power and your strength, Lord. We ask that apathy would fall to the ground because you hold us together. We ask that the power and the strains of lust would fall to the ground because you hold us together. We ask that comparison would fall to the ground. So if those are you, Lord, we, whoever's in this room, whatever stronghold it is, we just want to ask that you would release that to him right now. Would you release that to him and let him hold you? He has created you. He's made you. He's your sustainer. And we just want to pray over you. We want to pray God's blessing over you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, we're going to sing, we're going to worship. Would you just... Sometimes the thing we need is just something from the outside just to proclaim the beauty and power of Jesus over our lives. So we want to pray over many of you today. We just want to make room for the Spirit. We want Him to blow through these, this room. Jesus, would you have your way in us? Would you be Lord over it all? We surrender to you, the author and finisher of our faith, the creator of the world, sustainer of our hearts in this entire universe. You are supreme. May you be the senior pastor of this church. May you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.